are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I try not to say it every time that it comes to mind, but sometimes I just say it. I love being a part of this church. I am so blessed and love my church so much. And this is just one of those days when you just feel it so deeply. And uh, this is a great place to invite a friend. Um, And let's continue to share Jesus with people and be the church that Jesus calls us to be. Hey, I haven't said this to you, but I should have. Happy Father's Day and uh, a great day. And uh, let me just tell you about something since it's Father's Day. uh, Restoration Men's Conference, October the 12th through the 13th at Olivet Nazarene University. And so if you would like to be a, um, a stronger spiritual leader as a man at home, maybe uh, at your church, in your workplace, in your community, why don't you take down this website, uh, www.restorationmensconference.com. I, I feel like I'm being a little bit self-serving, but I will be one of the speakers at this event. And uh, if you haven't been, though, to a men's conference lately, maybe go. Or if you are a spouse of a man... Uh, and you would like for them to be a better leader at home or the church or the community, maybe you should jot this down and uh, encourage them to go. But I thought today would be a great day to talk about this. Gives you plenty of time to plan. I think it'll be a worthy event to attend. So I hope you can, can join me there, okay? I, I lived in Cincinnati for 10 years, and when we moved there, we bought a house, and our address was 5648 Indian Hill Court. The reason that's significant is because there was another community across town in Cincinnati. It was one of the wealthiest communities in the city, and it was called Indian Hill, okay? Many of the Bengals players lived there. Many of the uh, Cincinnati Reds players lived there. Many well-known people in the Cincinnati area lived in Indian Hill. And it just so happens that we lived, you know, 45 minutes away but in a community, and, and the street that we lived on was Indian Hill Court. And so I'd only been there for a couple of months, and my car one day, something happened to a tire on the car, and so I pull into this little tire store, and I walk in, and I just said, you know, confessionally to the guy, I didn't buy my tires here, I've never been to your store, but I have a problem with a tire on my car, and I need to get it fixed. He wasn't very helpful. He wasn't very friendly. And he said, it would be at least an hour before I could get to you, but if you want to wait, it's up to you. And so I said, well, I don't, I don't think I can drive my car, so I don't have a choice, so I'll just have to wait. So after I waited for a little bit, he finally said, let me get your name and stuff. And so he's, you know, looking at the screen and he says, what's your name? And I said, Rick Harvey. And he said, what's your address? And I said, 5648 Indian Hill Court. And he's typing that in. And as he's typing that in, he finally looks up at me and he says, um, you know what, Mr. Harvey, he said, uh, I, I can go ahead and get to you. <laughs> and then he says to me, that's, uh, that's quite a nice community you live in there. <laughs> well, I hadn't finished my address. And, and the only thing that just came out of my mouth was, hey, buddy, you can relax. I live in Fairfield, you know. And he kind of laughed with me, and he said, well, I'll go ahead and get you in anyway. <laughs> so, so what happened was this guy made a decision that because of the status that he thought I had, 
and the power or influence that he thought I had and the wealth that he thought I had, he decided that he would show me favor based on those things over the person that I really was. In fact, the person that he thought I was, he had really no regard for, not even a smile or any warmth or friendliness or kindness. And so what he decided was that for people who have status or rank or popularity or power or influence or wealth, because money's a big deal, I'll probably treat you different than I treat people who are kind of below me socially in those areas. And if you're below me socially in those areas, I don't really have any regard for you at all. I don't even care what you think or what you feel or whatever. And so what we're dealing with today in the passage that we're in in James is that James says in the church, that should not be the case. In the world, that's how it is. That's my culture, James was saying. But in my church, it should not be that way. In fact, let me just give you the words directly from the text we're going to read this morning. He asked the question, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? How can you claim to follow Jesus? How can you claim to be like Jesus? How can your trust and your faith and hope be in Jesus if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, we're in this series where we're focused on the Word. And for James, you remember the Word is not necessarily a book. When James thought about the Word of God, he did not think about a book like you and I sometimes think about a book. When he thought about the Word of God, he had this bigger picture in mind. It is all that we know that God wants and desires for us as He has revealed to us in many ways. So he says it's not enough for you just to hear the Word of God. You must do what it says. You must embrace it as a way of life. And if you are going to embrace God's will for you as a way of life, then you cannot favor people over others. And here is where James is in this conversation. When you and I allow ourselves to be influenced because of a person's status. So, for example, we may say this person is is more known than I'm known, or this person is more popular than I am, or this people seem, the person seems to have more friends than I have. So they're, they're kind of socially at this other status. They're a little higher in status than I am when it comes, you know, to social, you know, acceptance. Or this person is a person of power or a person of influence. Because of maybe a position they have, they kind of have influence or they have power and they're they're a little higher than me socially when it comes to power or this person has more money than i have and so socially you know they they're on a different level financially than me and when we decide that that i'm going to treat that person with favor because they are higher in status or power or wealth but the person who is lower than me in power or status or wealth I don't show favor to. And, and here's where that conversation eventually goes, okay? Here's where it goes. The person who is above me, they, they matter to me. 
The person below me? I mean, I don't want to be unkind, but they just don't matter as much. The person above me, what they think about me is really important. The person who is below me, if, if, if I hear they say something negative about me, the temptation is to be like, well, who are they? I don't even care what they think. I mean, they're not even, you know, that's where that eventually goes. And, and James is saying, yeah, the world is that way. But that's not the Jesus way. And, and that stuff should not creep into the church. So let me read that entire passage to you, okay? James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters. You can tell he's not angry. He's not mad. He's not screaming. He's not pointing his finger. These are words of love and compassion. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, and I think it's a great example, suppose someone comes into your meeting, meaning like church today, you know, and, 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 and they're dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. So if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, well, you can stand over there or else just sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this show discrimination? That your judgments are guided by your evil motives? So listen to me. Again, dear brothers and sisters, he's not screaming, he's not pointing his finger, he's not red in the face, he's showing compassion. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Let, let me ask you another question. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? And they are the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favor to some people over others. Wow. Why don't you read the words with me? You are committing a sin. Feels heavy, doesn't it? Really? That's a sin? And he goes on to say, you are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the law except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all God's laws. For the same person who said you must not commit adultery, in other words, big sin, also said you must not murder, also big sin. So if you murder someone, big sin, but do not commit adultery, big sin, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now these are some really challenging words. And I think they serve as a blanket over the entire passage. And so if there's a way that you can kind of keep this in mind as we move through the passage talking about its meaning, I think you would do well. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. 
But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. So, this is God's Word for us this morning. I was a youth pastor years ago, and, um, and I was really cool as a youth pastor. The reason I can say that to you is because I had a mustache and everything. So I was... I looked through some old pictures and thought I might pop one up on the screen and then decided not to. I remember a teenage girl coming to me once when I was her youth pastor and her heart was very heavy and she was very sad and she was very tearful and she was fighting a real inward battle and I liked this little gal a lot and Annette and I were friends with her parents and I wanted to help her. But here was her story. Pastor Rick, I try so hard to fit in and I try so hard to be accepted by these certain girls in our youth group, but they won't accept me. She talked about how she felt they were at times mean to her. And she was really hurting. She was struggling as this young girl who was becoming very self-aware and dealing with identity issues and trying to find her place in this world. And so I listened to her for a long time. And she just kind of rehearsed this struggle and this unacceptance of this group of girls that she would love to be a part of who were not going to let her in, it seemed to her. And so I remember saying to her, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? I named two other girls in our youth group. She said, yeah. And I said, I think that they are maybe dealing, just from what I observe, they've not talked to me, but from what I see, I think they're dealing with some of the same issues. I think they need a friend desperately. I said, let me ask you something. What if, what if you considered becoming a friend to those two girls? I think it would change their life. And there was this awesome struggle within her spirit when she said to me, but Pastor Rick, if I became friend with those two girls, it would not help me at all in being accepted by these other girls. In fact, I think it would hurt my chances. And what she in reality was doing was the same thing to these two girls that was so painful that the other girls were doing to her. Now, I think when you hear the story, probably many of us who are a little bit older say, oh yeah, I remember days when I was younger and I was trying to find my place in the world. And I remember dealing with, you know, self-awareness and identity issues and growing up and those were hard years and trying to find where I fit and all of that stuff. And I just want to say, stop it, would you? Pump the brakes. This is not about teenage girls and boys. Because you still deal with this same kind of stuff and you make decisions every day of your life about these same issues. We're all living here. We're all dealing with it. 
We all struggle with this kind of thing. Because in our fallen nature, because of original sin, this is where we live. This is where we're tempted, okay? We often show favor to people who can benefit us, and we neglect people who can't. And so in our fallen nature, I think this is the most natural thing that we do. Without the grace of Jesus, this is the most natural thing that we do. We often show favor to people who can benefit us, and we neglect people who can't. I believe in our fallen nature, without the grace of Jesus, this is the most natural reaction for us. We often show favor to people who can benefit benefit us, and we neglect those who can not. Now, he says, let me give you an example. I, I, I worked hard at this, and I couldn't come up with it. I'm, I'm aggravated that I couldn't. But I wanted to recognize somebody of status here today, and I wanted to say, hey, we got a better seat down here. In fact, all of you, just come down closer. I would love it if you just came down. We've got great seats of honor for everybody here today, okay? But I thought, how neat it would be if I just brought somebody down and offered them a cup of coffee or a donut or a bottle of water because they were people of status. And that's what James does. He goes to this place in this story and he says, let me just give you an example. What if somebody came to your church? Because he was talking about their assembly when they came together. Church. A gathering of Christian people. Church. Not a building, but a gathering. What if when you guys got together, somebody who was rich with nice clothes and jewelry, jewelry, it's hard to say jewelry for some reason, came in, and then somebody poor, dirty, shabby clothes, and you offered the place of honor, the seat of honor to the person who was rich, but to the poor person you said, why don't you just maybe stand over there or sit back there because we're going to need the good seats later. And, and listen to his words. He says, doesn't this demonstrate... This, this dem- It's just one of those days. (laughs) I've struggled ever since I told you to pump the brakes. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by... I can't even say it. You say it. I, I think most of us, when we think about this show and favoritism... I think we struggle to put that in the category of evil motives and sin. I think we feel much more comfortable softening that. That just sounds a little tough to me. But it's where God's Word goes in that conversation. So there's this conversation about poor and rich I feel like I should deal with before I move on. And and James does this. He says, isn't it the poor that God has chosen to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? And isn't it the rich who drag you to court and sometimes even slander the name of Jesus? So let me give you some context, okay? I think this could be helpful. In, in James' world, in that Greek-Roman world, there were really two classes of people. There was not a middle class. There were the very rich, and then there were the very poor. But there wasn't really a middle class. Ninety percent of the people were very poor, and ten percent of the people were very 
rich. But there wasn't an in-between. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot like today, you were born into your status. Okay? And so um, you were either born rich or you were born poor. Um, A lot like your appearance. You were either born really good looking or you were born not as good looking. Okay? This is Father's Day and I've been thinking about my dad this week. And my dad used to have a lot of things that he would say, just funny lines. And one of his lines was, um, sometimes I wish I had been born rich instead of so good looking. You know? (laughs) Johnny, you ever wish you had been born rich instead of so good looking? Probably a lot of us do with that. And so you were born into your status. Now, in our society, you can actually climb out of your status. You can rise above your roots. And we have all these stories in our world about rags to riches. That was not hardly a possibility at all in James' world. If you were born poor, you would probably remain poor all of your life. It wasn't about climbing a ladder of success. Life was about surviving. And the problem was that the rich got richer because they took advantage of the poor. And like all riches, the temptation is always greed. And how much you need is always just a little bit more. And so that's James' world. Now, I think it poses two questions. And one of the questions that I think we ask, just kind of setting listening to the sermon is, is rich sin? Is rich a bad thing? Is James saying rich people are in trouble? If he is, we are all in trouble. Because we established a couple of months ago that we're all rich. According to the standards of this world, probably everybody in the room is in the top 20%. I don't think James was saying rich is sin. I think he, like Jesus, was warning us and will continue as we move through the book to warn us about rich. It has its pitfalls. Be careful, those of you who are rich. I think what he's doing is condemning the behavior of the rich. And I think the other question, is James not showing a little favoritism himself to the poor? I mean, listen to what he says. Does it sound like he's kind of leaning for the poor? And I would say immediately, no. James is lending a voice to people who have no voice. And he is sharing with the church a very important message. And so here's the message that he is sharing. Um... I was reading my devotions uh, one morning this week, and usually the first thing that I do in my devotions is I get off my phone, in my inbox, in my email, the devotional that this church emails me every week. I don't know if you're getting those, but if you're not getting those, go to our website and just sign up to get those in your inbox every morning. The thing that's different about those devotionals is they complement the sermon from Sunday. And so all this week, the devotionals will complement the sermon from this past Sunday. They will, you, you, you'll keep the sermon in your head throughout the week and you'll learn and grow, not because you just hear it on Sunday, but you're being reminded of it every morning. And so you can get those. And so I was reading the devotion and there was a phrase that I'd never heard before that I can remember. And the phrase was, you've heard of people who are all hat and no cattle. Huh? You've heard that before? Well, woe unto me, I wasn't raised in Oklahoma, so maybe that's why. 
But I, I laughed out loud when I read those words. And Jim Priest had written the devotional for this week, and, and, uh, and he was talking about how a person maybe wants to appear to be more than they are. So a guy gets out of a big truck with a big hat, and for all you know, he owns a big ranch with a lot of cattle. And the reality is maybe he doesn't have a ranch, knows nothing about a ranch, and owns no cattle. And so the idea is a person who is trying to project an image, a person who wants you to think they're more than they are, but really, they're just big hat and no cattle. So in American culture, we understand love for status and love for power and influence and love for money. And we also understand what it gets you in our society. And so statistically, when you look up the numbers, they overwhelm you. The amount of debt that we as Americans are willing to take on so that we can have the right kind of car and the house in the right neighborhood and the right kinds of clothes. So that we can project an image that says, I'm really not here. I'm really up here. And sometimes we become all hat and no cattle. We live in a world where the focus is not on being, B-E-I-N-G. It's on having, H-A-V-I-N-G. It's not nearly as much about character as it's about what you acquire. And in James' world, if you were rich, you were expected to be treated differently than if you were poor, treated better. And what's happening is, is that mentality is creeping into the church. But because of James' strong influence of the teaching of Jesus, James says this cannot be the way of the church. It's the way of the world, but it can't be our way. And the theological foundation for this kind of thinking is the fact that God created man, all men, all men, in His own image. In His own image, He created them, male and female. And God loves everybody the same, and everybody has value, and everybody is important to God. And God desires that in the church, His heart is reflected. And pecking order and rank has no value here. And so can you imagine what it was like in the early church where all of a sudden children became much more important and women were valued? Because in that world, children and women were not valued. And get this, so you would go to church as a slave, okay? And guess who you might sit beside? Your master. You would never sit beside your master anywhere else. And so James gives us great stuff from his word here. 
It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. I don't know, I don't know why this is, but, but I, uh, I get this pretty often when people ask me about my life or what I do, and I try to tell them that, you know there's a church beside Southern Nazarene University on 39? Yeah, well, I'm the pastor there. And I, and I get this, this one lady, she says to me, which pastor are you? And I said, I'm the senior pastor. To which she responded, so you are over the senior adults. And I said, no, we have an awesome pastor who is over the senior adults. She says, okay, I understand. Who, who preaches at your church? I said, well, I preach most of the time. She goes, in the main service. Maybe it's, maybe it's my hair. I don't know. Maybe it's the way I dress. So I remember once going into an event with some people from Bethany First Church. And, and when I got to the event, we, we walked in, and in the foyer that was in a church, there was this guy there that I'd never met before. And I kind of, I'd heard a lot of great things, and the people that I was with from here knew him, and I wanted to meet him. And I go up, and, and I just take my hand out, and I, I said, hey, my name is Rick, I just wanted to meet you. And, uh, and he, he didn't appear to want to meet me. And it was such a cool, quick shoulder that I didn't even have time to say anything else. Nothing else. And, and it was over. And I was a little confused. I'd heard so many good things about this person. One of the people who was with me saw this happen. And out of the corner of my eye, I realized that he's telling this person, that's Rick Harvey. He's our new senior pastor at Bethany First Church. And I actually heard the person say, Oh, that's the senior pastor at Bethany First Church? And I'm acting like I'm not aware of this exchange. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and I turn and he grabs my hand with both his hands and he says, Rick, I did not realize who you were. It is so nice to meet you. A few years ago, I still remember that. I remember not long ago saying to, a, saying to my wife Annette, hey, I'm going to go over and say hi to that person. I, I, I think I ought to introduce myself to them and, you know, kind of welcome them, greet them, be friendly. I did. And um, I, don't, I don't think they really wanted to, to say hi to me. I, I, I've struggled since then because I feel like I kind of need to go back. But I don't really want to. It, it, it's hard when you feel like somebody doesn't value you, doesn't it? Feel hard? And I can live there. But I think there's another really good question for me to ask myself today. I wonder how many people there are in this world who would say, I remember one day I reached out to Rick Harvey. And I introduced myself to him, but he didn't seem to want to give me the time of day.
once in a while, I get to hang out with an old friend. And every time I do, I'm overwhelmed at how he adds value to people, wherever we are. It could be the, the, the person behind the counter at, at the McDonald's. And somehow he engages in conversation and adds value to that person because I believe he's really bought into the theology. I think he believes that God has created everybody in his own image and they are valuable and they matter to God and therefore it's reflected in his life. So I think we have this deal going for Well, you know, hey, you know, I don't always get that one right, but you know, I don't do the big stuff, the bad stuff. And so I think it's a matter of, yeah, you don't always get it right, but if you can do more good than bad, right? I mean, if you could just outweigh, right? If you can just kind of better than I am bad, right? So maybe, you know, he'll smile on me and it'll all work out in the end. And, and James just says, that's, that's not the way it is. In fact, he says it this way. He says, for the person who keeps all the laws except one. Well, let's try to name one. What about showing favoritism? There's one. Because that's really what James is saying. He's guilty, as guilty as a person who has broken all God's laws. And then he goes into this, so what if you didn't commit adultery but you did commit murder or whatever? He's naming these really bad ones. What he's trying to do here is say, this is a really bad one too, showing favoritism. In God's eyes, when you break one, you've broken them all. And James is going back to this idea that we don't just listen to the Word, but when we come to understand God's will for our lives, we must embrace it as a way of life. Let me tell you something this morning. Okay, me, you, everybody in the room, we are dependent on the grace of Jesus on this one. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there is power. You understand Jesus' victory over sin was decisive. And the power is available to you and me to live above things like favoritism. So let me end with this. Oh, I should have ended a long time ago. This is a tough place to preach. Tough place to preach. This couple back at Springdale, if you came into our church and you looked sharp and young and even wealthy or whatever, they would grab you up, they would hug you, they would take you to lunch. They weren't even intimidated by your wealth. They would take you to the place they could afford. They would make you feel special. But if you came in and you were poor, maybe even to the point of homeless, maybe you were an immigrant, they would put their arms around you and they would hug you and they would take you to lunch and they would make you feel special. They bought the theology. They believed that everybody was created in the image of God and therefore had value and was important. Yeah. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.